At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. To dissect the Biden inflation plan, we bring in my pal, Tomas Phillipson, who is former chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors under President Trump. He's a professor of public policy at the University of Chicago. Tomas, thank you for coming on. Good to hear your voice again, Larry. So uh, I'm looking at uh, the Wall Street Journal op-ed page, May 30th. That's just a couple days ago. I think it was Wednesday or Tuesday. Joe Biden, my plan for fighting inflation. Okay, my plan. (laughs) Best I can tell, he's saying, well, we're going to have the Federal Reserve. And then he wants to have more subsidies and spending, build back better, maybe a junior version of build back better. But that's all I could find in his plan. So you're much smarter than I am. Maybe you can have more insights into the Joe Biden plan for fighting inflation. By the way, Tomas, yesterday he said there's nothing he can do about high gas prices. I just want to add that. So go ahead. How'd you like his plan for fighting um, inflation? My tagline is becoming... Having the White House fight inflation is like having an arsonist shut out a fire, basically. So, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Here, so for example, uh, when he talks about, he keeps coming back to this that he's trying to make things affordable to people in this inflation environment. But the way you make things affordable, affordable, is through subsidizing demand, which presumably raises prices, whether mm-hmm. it's health care, childcare or even student loan, et cetera. The second thing it does is we're going to have Nixonian price controls, in this case on drugs, to stem off inflation, which I think everyone agrees on, both on the left and right, that that is not a good way to fight inflation. And the last thing I think that's misleading is that he keeps saying that, you know, this Putin surge in energy prices, which is really owned, I think, by Biden as opposed to someone. So it's owned by the White House as well. It's not something they can deflect to because it's just a a failure of foreign policy as opposed to domestic policy, I think. Because, you know, they invaded Ukraine under Obama. They stopped under Trump and they invaded under Biden. So common sense would tell you that Trump got something right in stopping invasions. And and uh, this invasion under occurred under the so-called <clears throat> diplomacy approach, a lack of, you know, peace through strength. And mm-hmm. I think he can't shy away from owning that in some sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think, we you know, we're not done. I mean, China is opening up now this week. You know, Shanghai is opening up and uh, Russia is being more shut out. So demand is going up. Supply is going down because Russia is being more aggressively shut up by Europe. Presumably, both things will raise prices in the future. But the White House is insistent in that those price increases are not high enough because they want to push us even into more expensive energy, which is green energy. 
and green energy has not innovated down in cost for the market to get rid of fossil fuels. Once that occurs, the market will get rid of fossil fuels a lot quicker than governments are trying to do it. But that innovation has not taken place yet. And therefore, this prevention of global warming through pushing people into more expensive energy is really something damaging that a lot of people, you know, Nordhaus and and others have talked about being the cost of prevention of climate change is much higher than the cost of climate change climate change itself in some sense. So I think, you know, on a lot of fronts, he's being very, very counterproductive, even to his own objectives. You know, even, uh, well, two things, Tomas. You mentioned no no Russian invasions or adventurism under Trump. If you look back, uh, during the Bush administration, during the latter part of George W. Bush's administration, the price of oil went to about $150 a barrel. And yeah, that was like in 2008 or something. Right? That's correct. And, it, you know, it yeah. ramped up in 07, and then it hit the peak in 08. And guess what? Putin invaded Georgia, you know, took Georgia, with high yeah. oil prices to finance his war machine. Then we r- run through the Obama years, and Obama had a spike in oil prices I don't know, $100 a barrel, some such. And here's Putin taking the extra cash, right, from oil uh, oil sales, and he picks off Crimea. He doesn't do a thing with Trump because oil prices during the Trump years, I'm going to say, Tomas, $50 a barrel average, okay, because the spigots were turned on and, you know, Trump wanted energy independence and succeeded. So now under Biden... Under Biden, before Putin comes in, oil prices move up to $80, $90 a barrel, almost $100 a barrel, and he invades Ukraine. My point is, if you try to you know, stop oil drilling and oil and gas production, you're playing into Putin's hands. He takes the extra cash. It's really his only cash crop. He takes the extra cash, puts it into his military, and uh, starts invading. So the, to me, the, mor- the moral of the story is uh, high oil prices help Russia, low oil prices hurt Russia. The only way to do it is to open the spigots, which Biden has essentially closed. That's the way I see it. Correct. I mean, there's two, there's two forces you're saying. There's not only the foreign policy differences with strength versus diplomacy, there's also the energy policy differences right. that, that basically makes the difference, you're saying. And both are operating in the same way, I think, uh, and, and pushing. One is making Russia richer, which is the energy policy. And the second is making Russia more uh, prone to not fearing any retaliation, which is the foreign policy part. Yeah. So I think both are kind of operating in the same direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the weak mm-hmm. foreign policy plays plays right into that. Um, so, Tomas, the um, other thing that's so interesting, Biden said yesterday there's nothing he can do about it, and which is a little different than his op-ed piece. But, you know, he just kind of, I mean, he's, he, he's not, of course there are things he could do. If you were back at the CEA chair and you had an Oval Office meeting with the president, what would you say? Is there nothing we can do about it? Really? No, there's plenty. I think for me, the main source of this is, you know, I'm brainwashed coming from the home of Milton Friedman. So my main source is <laughs> the money, the money supply and, 
you know, economists can't agree on a lot of things, but we can agree on one thing, which is if you increase the supply of something, you lower the value of it. And it's the same thing for money supply. Once you increase the money supply, you lower the value of money, which is inflation. And I think, you know, you see less in OECD, you see less inflation. They have a less a smaller growth in the money supply. You know, there's an argument that just redistribution of fiscal policy in itself, if it's tax financed, doesn't do much to aggregate demand because you're taking from some people and giving to others. And aggregate demand is, you know, includes both consumption and investment. So even though you might be taking investments from the rich and putting it in consumption for the poor, it doesn't necessarily change aggregate demand. It's not as clear, I should say that it actually has a stimulative effect because it's, you know, it's when it's monetized, that's really the the inflationary kind of aspect of it. And a lot of what people talk about inflation, a lot of times it's just relative price increases. The energy crisis is sort of just a relative price increase. We have a dramatic cut in supply uh, in in the world, uh, both through Russia, but also through us. And, And I think, you know, the the fact that now the Fed the Fed is obviously by many not considered to be very serious with real rates being very negative still. So, you know, I think that's one issue that needs to be fixed in some sense. It's not gonna be a cheap way of fixing it. Well Biden now, when he can Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just I was just gonna say basically the Fed did monetize the spending plans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this, yeah, they, yeah, no, they, that's that's the story. It was like a 40 percent growth in the, in M two, right? In, minus, yeah. in the money supply, and that's the real issue for people who believe, you know, it's ultimately a monetary phenomenon, inflation. That you know, you would have had massive energy price increases without inflation had the Russia war taking place, for example. That's mm. a, that's not inflation. That's just spike in energy prices or relative prices for energy compared to other goods. But if you're talking about broad-based price increases, which we have, everything pretty much, you know, what is it, 80 or 75 percent of them of the industries in CPI have, have way higher inflation than the 2 percent target of the Fed. That's inflation. It's a broad-based increase in prices, hmm. which, you know, people that are not Keynesian, I think, believe it's ultimately due to the money supply. So the Fed, the burden's going to be on the Fed. I mean, if... if yeah, but if, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to, you know, they're, they're obviously acting in tandem with the administration in one way or another. So, you know, the administration is not raising taxes to fund all this stuff, so they're just monetizing it. So we've got a big... Biden is going to wind up blaming the Fed. If there's a downturn, which I think is there coming, I got 30 seconds left. Can we get out of this without a major downturn? Well, I mean, he, there was interesting you said yesterday, like you said, it's a good sign that job growth is slowing, which I thought was very, very <laughs> a weird statement. <laughs> I mean, yes. we're not even caught up yet to pre pandemic levels, right. and we're way off pre pandemic trends before, you know, early 2020. And to say that it's a good sign that we're slowing down in job growth, even though we haven't caught up yet, yeah. I thought it was a very, very strange statement. Thank you, Tomas. Tomas Phillipson, former CEA chair, now back to teaching school at the University of Chicago with all that free market monitor stuff. Wonderful. Thank you, Tomas. We'll talk soon. Folks, okay. I'm Larry Kudlow. 
Other side of this break, we're going to talk to former Deputy National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger. What about Saudi Arabia and what about China? I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. 